also has a way to help individuals increase their devotional time. As you want to know, as an individual, what is God's will for our church? How is he directing our lives? And how do I work within the context of the congregation to sense the will of God? So I'm going to ask a very hard question this morning. Is how do you know God's will for your next pastor? And it is my desire to answer that question by looking at the lives of the disciples in the relationship to Jesus and what would make them guys give up a whole way of life, eventually be martyred for their faith to follow someone they really didn't know. Why and how would they make such a statement as you are the Christ, the Son of the living God? I see in this text nine C's that I find in Luke chapter 9 in particular and in the Gospels in general that I would like to leave with you this morning of how they knew that Jesus was the Messiah and He was God in the flesh. And along the way, I should hope to answer the question, how do you know God's will for your next pastor? The first C I find in the text is a divine call. In Luke chapter 2, verses 40 through 49, it was required of the nation of Israel to go to Jerusalem three times a year. One of these times was during Passover. Joseph and Mary had left Jerusalem, and they left Jesus behind with some cousins and friends, thinking that he was with them. When they went back to get him, the Lord Jesus was not there. They went all the way back to Jerusalem, and they found Jesus at age 12, in the synagogue, listening to the doctors and lawyers and asking them questions about their faith. Now, these parents had the nerve to ask God, where have you been? What are you doing? And Jesus, at age 12, looked at his mom and dad and says, did you not know I must be about my father's business? In Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21, as Jesus' custom was at his hometown in Nazareth, he was at synagogue. And it was his time to read. And the scribes handed him the, the, the scriptures. And this is what the Lord Jesus read in the synagogue. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He closed the book, he gave it again to the minister, and he sat down, and the eyes of all of them that were in a synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Jesus understood the call of God on his life, and it was a divine call but there must be a confirmation of the call you can't just say i'm divinely called there must be a confirmation of the call of god in luke chapter 3 verse 21 john the baptist has went to the wilderness to preach about the coming king of glory and the crowds are going out there to be baptized in the water by john and jesus comes along and john says what i have need to be baptized of you and you want me to baptize you. 
And when Jesus went down in the water, Luke says, the Holy Spirit like a dove fell on the Lord Jesus. And the Lord spoke and he said, this is my son and whom I am well pleased. There must be a confirmation of the call. Third, there must be a commitment to the call. In Luke chapter 9, verse 22, Jesus says, after he tells Peter, don't tell nobody what's going on. Don't tell nobody that I'm Lord and Messiah. He then says to the disciples, I really got to do the work now. Here's the work. I got to go be beaten. I got to be whipped. And I got to go hang on the cross for mankind. The ministry was all fun and games up to this point. Jesus had established himself as a great teacher. He'd done it with signs and miracles and wonders, and everybody wanted to follow him. But when he talked about the root of the ministry, the root of the call of God on his life, he was committed to it. He knew what he had to do, and he told his disciples, I got to go to the cross. Jesus was committed. In chapter 22 and verse 42, he's praying in the Mount of Olives. He brings the disciples with him and he goes off by himself and he says to the Lord God Almighty, he says, God, you can do anything you want. If there's any way, remove this from me. Don't ask me to do such a task. But in the end, Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. Jesus was committed to the call of God on his life. But with commitment comes conflict. There's conflict with God. In Matthew 27 and 46, Jesus hanging on the cross, it's almost over with. He says to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I have followed you. I have loved you. I have obeyed you. But the moment I need you the most, where are you at? He struggled with the Lord God Almighty. Jesus had conflict with Satan in Luke chapter 4. He's out fasting and going hungry for 40 days. And he goes to Satan and Satan says, I got you now, man. If you're really a man of God, fall down. God will lift you up. Jesus said, no way. If you're really a man of God, if you're really God's son, eat some of this bread right here. Turn this stone into bread and eat it. Jesus said, no way. It's to love him and serve him first and foremost. Satan says, I'll give you everything in the world if you just bow down and follow me. Jesus said, no way, man. Only the Lord God Almighty shall you serve. There's conflict with Satan. Jesus had conflict with himself. My goodness, he kept teaching the disciples and leading the disciples. And one day somebody came to him in Matthew 17 and 17. says, man, I took my child to your disciples. They couldn't do nothing with him. And Jesus says, my goodness, what am I going to do with you people? Bring him here. Jesus struggled with himself to get the gospel out to the men and women that he's speaking to. They just didn't want to hear it at some times and did not want to follow him all the time. You struggle with self and conflict. And Jesus struggled with others. Again, in Luke 22, verse 45, when he brings the disciples with him, he's praying, he's seeking the heart of God. He knows he's about to go to the cross. He understands what's going to happen. And he comes back and they're sleeping. What's the matter with you guys? Don't you know the work that I got to do? Why are you sitting here sleeping? He fought with others. 
The disciples asked him one day, man, what are you doing ministering to these kind of people? These are people are lost and undone. They're dirty. They're nasty. What are you doing? And this is who he came for. To reach the lost, the undone man, the undone woman. This was his role, but he had constant conflict with those around him. Conflict always leads to confusion. Jesus asked the disciples two questions. Who do men say that I am? I want to know what they're saying about me. They said, some John the Baptist, some Elias, some one of the old prophets is risen from the dead. This is what Herod said in chapter 9, verses 7 through 9. He's wondering, how is this guy doing all these signs and wonders? Has John the Baptist risen from the dead? There was mass confusion about the work and ministry of Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 24, when he had died and went to the grave, they went looking for him, but he wasn't there. The disciples were scrambling. What happened to our Lord and King? The Jewish people say his body was stolen. What's going on? On the road to the Emmaus, these guys heard about Jesus, and they said he's not here anymore. What's happening? There was mass confusion about the work that Jesus was doing. Out of confusion comes eventually confession. Matthew 15 and 27, a woman from Canaan heard all of what Jesus was doing, and her baby was ill. She says to him, Lord, come heal my baby. Jesus said, no, you're not in the right line. It's not right for me to give this goodness to you. The woman of Canaan said, true, Lord, I am what you say I am. But even the dogs eat the crumbs of the master's table. She said, you are Lord, and I confess you as the Christ in John chapter 20, O Thomas was the only one who hadn't seen the Lord Jesus risen from the dead. And Thomas said, if I don't touch him right here, if I don't feel it right here, I don't believe not anything you guys are saying. I don't believe you. I don't trust you. I don't want to be around you. There's no way he's risen. And Jesus comes up to him and says, go ahead, Thomas. Right here. Look where they pierce me. Touch my hand. See if I'm not real and I'm not true. Thomas looks at him and says, my Lord and my God, you are the Christ. Confusion always brings confession. Out of confession comes a conviction. Now, Jesus has once again explained to the disciples what he's about to do. And he's telling them, you guys are going to deny me. You're going to leave me. And Peter says, it doesn't matter, Lord. Though everybody here says they won't serve you. Though everybody here says they won't love you. Though they're going to go their own way, God, I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. I am convicted in my soul that you are the Messiah, that you are the King. Out of conviction comes a command. The command is found in chapter 9, verse 23. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me. If you're going to serve me, if you're going to honor me, you got to give up your whole way of life. you got to forsake it all to be my disciple. That was the command. Then out of the can, command comes the great commission. Matthew 28, 18 and 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations and make disciples everywhere you go. There was a commission on their life. Is this not what Jesus done with the disciples? 
This was the work God done through the Lord Jesus Christ. But are these nine seas not in the way Jesus treated the disciples in Luke chapter 9? The Bible said he called them. He called them by name. He confirmed the call by telling when you go preach the gospel, heal the sick, raise the dead, feed the hungry. He confirmed the call of God on their lives. Then he asked him in chapter 9 for commitment. He says, when you go, don't take no clothes with you. Don't take no money with you. Don't take no food with you. You just go and enter the house. If the house blesses you, you're blessed. If the house curses you, just wipe it off and move on to the next house. Confirmed it in their lives and asked them for a commitment to go and not take nothing with you, but truly believe in me. But with this commitment comes conflict. Chapter 9, verses 59, they come up to Jesus. We'll follow you anywhere. We'll love you anywhere. Jesus, I got no place to live, man. Uh, sorry, buddy, I can't do that. I need a, I need a house. I need some air conditioning. I need some money. Conflict with God. Another guy says, let me go say goodbye to my family. Jesus said, you ain't got time for that. Go preach the gospel. They had conflict with God when he spoke to him. They didn't want to listen to him because what he asked was often way too hard. This conflict leads to conflict with Satan. In chapter 9, verses 55 and 56 John and Peter is getting mad at these people. As Jesus goes through Samaria, he wasn't welcome there. And John says, hey, hey, man, you want us to bring lightning from heaven and strike all these people dead? And Jesus says, you know what spirit you're speaking from? That ain't for me. The Son of Man came to save men's lives, not destroy them. Somehow they got in their head the wrong idea of what Jesus was supposed to do. There's conflict with self. Verse 58, he says, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. But he just couldn't do it. When Jesus says, you got to give up all your riches and stuff, the poor man walked away and he was disappointed because he couldn't do what Jesus was asking. There was conflict with others. Man, them disciples fought constantly. I mean, they, they asked the question, uh, who's going to be the greatest in his kingdom? Which one of us is going to be up there with him uh, at his right hand? Which one of us will be the best? They were fighting with each other all the time, trying to get positioned with the Lord Jesus. They were always in conflict with one another. Conflict always brings confusion. Jesus teaching them in chapter 9, verse 45, about what he must do. He says, again, I'm going to the cross. And the, it says, the disciples says, they were confused. They didn't understand what he was doing. They didn't understand his real ministry. They didn't understand his purpose. They were confused. Our confusion always comes confession. Peter confessed it right there in chapter 9, verse 20, when he asked him, who do you say that I am? And as if he spoke for every disciple around, he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This confusion brought conviction in their lives. In John chapter 6, Jesus said he was the bread from heaven, the man from heaven. And he said, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. They didn't understand what he was saying. And the Bible says many left him on that day because his sayings were too hard. And Jesus looked at the disciples and says, will you leave me also? 
Disciples say to the Lord Jesus, where will we go, Lord? You only have the words of eternal life. The conviction led to a command found in verse 50. Now, here's a disciple who didn't walk with Jesus. And John says, hey, you want me to tell that guy to shut up? Jesus said, no. If they're not for me, they're against me. But if they're for me, leave, me, leave him alone. Let him preach the word. The command was to preach the gospel. And their commission is found in Luke chapter 10 when the Bible says Jesus called 70 others to follow him. He'd done the same thing to the 12. He called 70. He confirmed it. He equipped them. And he sent them out to preach the word of God. Has not Jesus done the same thing in your life and my life? Did he not call us to salvation? No matter what context you were in, what you were doing, did he not call you by his love, his mercy, and his kindness? And he says, come, follow me. Then he confirmed the call. When you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the Bible says in Ephesians 1.13, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise until the day of redemption. He confirmed it right in your life. The day you accepted him, the Holy Spirit came in. And when he says the Holy Spirit of promise, he's referring back to Ezekiel 36. When God says to the children of Israel, I'm going to take you from idolatry. I'm going to take you from your old way of life. And I'm going to put my spirit within you. And I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a new mind. I'm going to give you a new spirit. And I'm going to cause you to walk in my ways. And I'm going to cause you to follow me. Does that not happen to you and me when we get off track and we get out of whack? Somehow the Holy Spirit, the living God, he calls us back. And he says, I've confirmed my love. I've confirmed my salvation in your life. Now walk in me. Our commitment to the confirmation is found in the sacrament of baptism. Romans chapter 6 there's a big question between the Jewish and Gentiles about this word grace. And they're saying, hey, man, why can't I go down and just do sinful things if I'm under this word called grace? And Paul says, oh, my goodness, don't you understand what you did in baptism? Just like the Lord Jesus died to his own will and to himself when he rose, he rose as a new person, and now he's going to make everybody new. He says, when you went down in water baptism, you died to your ways, you died to your will, you died to yourself, and you said, this man, this woman is dead. And then when you came up out of that water, you said, I'm a new person, I'm a new creature in him. I don't want to live the old way. I don't want to do the old things. I am committed to him. And why am I so committed to him? Because I love him. Is that not what we say? We love him. Why do we love him so much? Because he loved us even more. And he put all that junk behind us and he said it's done and it's gone and it's buried. Do we not have conflict with God? Get in his word. When he says you got to treat others right. Oh, dude, that's hard to do at work, man. You just don't know these supervisors. I got to talk nice to them. I've had to apologize to my supervisors and leadership more often than I care because I get so convicted about this thing. of I represent the Lord Jesus. 
I got conflict with God and what he's asking me to do and what he's asking me to go and how he wants me to live my life. That will lead to conflict with Satan because Satan says it's okay and other people will butter you up. It's okay if you live like that. Nobody cares. The Lord Jesus Christ cares. You have conflict with self. I don't want to read my Bible for two minutes every day. I don't want to open it up one day a week. I don't want to pray three minutes a month. I don't necessarily want to go to church every Sunday. I don't want to get up out of bed. I'm fighting myself all the time of things I don't want to do. It's a constant battle. Fighting with self. That leads to fighting with others about what you should be or what you should not be doing. I'm just going to tell you. If the disciples who walk closest to God and the Apostle Paul who was taught directly by the Lord Jesus about what it was to follow him, if them cats fought every day with one another, you and I don't stand a chance. We're going to argue. We're going to bicker. We're going to fight. It's not the conflict with each other that defines us. It's how we treat each other when it's over with. Do we offer grace and love to one another and move on as a people of God, move on as a collective unit to follow the will of God, or do we do our own will and our own way and say, I ain't doing that? We have conflict with each other. Conflict always leads to confusion. What's the right thing to do? What's the wrong thing to do? How do we approach this? You never ask the will of God. You just start fighting with each other. Because you're confused about what he wants you to do. Conflict always leads to confusion. But out of confusion comes confession. Eventually you have to say in your own individual life, He is my Lord, He is my God, or He's not. There's no in-betweens. You either love Him or you don't. You either follow Him or you don't. You either serve Him or you don't. What? Do we confess? Out of confession comes conviction. If we really believe what we're saying, we're going to act on it. Out of conviction comes command. What is his command? As I'm praying and and seeking the Lord about this church here and your traditions and, and, and all the things that you guys do, I see the command in community worship, and you're gathering together in communion. And I mean the Lord's Supper. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, hey, don't you have homes you can eat and drink in? But when you come into the house of God, is it not to partake of the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? Our command is, when we come into the house of God, and we receive communion as a body of Christ, we remember what he done on the cross. Whether you do it once a month, once a quarter, twice a year, any time you gather together as a body of believers and you receive communion as a body, you remember what he done on your behalf, and you should never forget that. And you do it until the day he returns. Our command is to be gathered in worship and to receive communion of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is our commission? To be the light of the world. We're fed. We grow. We help in here. But outside the walls of the church, 
our commission is to be the light of the world. A city set on a hill that cannot be hid. To share with others what God has done for us. The goodness of Jesus in our lives. How he's made us. How he's changed us. How he's developed us. And the things he's done in our life. That is our commission. West Alexandria Church of the Brethren. This is a very exciting time for you. As you seek the will of God for your next senior pastor. And it's truly my hope that I provided more answers than questions. Would you stand with me this morning? Heavenly Father, I do thank you for the work that was done on the old rugged cross for your son, Jesus. That he died and rose again to give us life and you call it life more abundant. Help me, Lord, to follow you and to love you and serve you, Lord. Lord, help all of us to be your child. Touch us by your Holy Spirit, Lord, to understand your will, to understand your way. And Lord, let the church always walk in unity and each part doing what needs to be done to keep the ministry of this church going. Now, God, everything we say and ever do, we always glorify you. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare our benediction, let's keep in mind our, our veterans of the past, veterans currently, those who have made the ultimate sacrifice. May the strength of God sustain us. May the power of God preserve us. May the hands of God protect us. May the way of God direct us. And may the love of God go with us this day and forever. Amen. Thank you.